Well, thank you, Brian. It's kind of hard to top Brian after that. Although if he's an accountant, I'm happy with the $20. <laughs> if that's some creative Canadian accounting, then I'll, uh, I'll go for it. Eh? But uh, it's a real privilege to be here tonight. You know, it's easy to say that, uh, but this is a particularly unique conference. We're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through the session this evening. And it's particularly uh, encouraging for me to be here. Uh, and I just want to publicly uh, thank so many of you uh, who over the last day have had a chance to come and talk to me and for a number of you that have been emailing, calling, faxing, sending carrier pigeons, <laughs> however it is that you've been uh, in touch with us regarding my father. Um, you know, the Lord has been very gracious to us. Dad, as many of you know, is uh, struggling really at the end stages of colon cancer. And uh, we've just been very appreciative of the love of the saints. Uh, dear brother sent us an email the other day and said, we just trust that the Lord will pack up the tent gently. And although that's hard to hear, in one respect, we're very thankful that he's here. And I know my father probably wouldn't want me to tell you this tonight, but, uh, and I know the conference committee would support it, but um, it actually really was his idea to uh, name the conference Christ preeminent. So for that reason, I was willing to leave uh, his bedside yesterday and come here. And I think it's important, uh, as the Lord has indicated to me, at least in my heart, that it's important for me to be here. So I trust the Lord will bless our evening together. The other comment I want to make before we get into our study tonight is particular to the young people. Now, after listening to Jesse, I'm thankful when he said our young generation and commented 34. I always wrestle, what do you call young or, as I like to say, less young? Don't like to use the O word. Um, awkward. But um, or sometimes I like to say awkward, party of one. Uh, anyway. Um, young people in particular, don't squander this week. Some of us have had the privilege of being at almost all the Rise Up conferences going back to 1993. sound like an old man now, going back in the day in 1993. And I can strategically think of different aspects of my life that have genuinely been touched by being at a conference like this. And that's not to be melodramatic. That's not to overstate the case. But I've been particularly interested recently in studying in the scriptures individuals who had missed or lost opportunities. Individuals whom the Lord set up with a gift, with an ability, with a talent, with circumstances, and they squandered it away and left it for someone else. Now, God is so gracious that he'll, he will use someone else to fulfill his work. But God has called you to a work that he's not called anyone else to do. I believe that wholeheartedly there is a ministry a purpose a work for each individual in this room that he's not planned for anybody else so please don't waste this week we're here to enjoy the fellowship and it's wonderful and the accommodation is spectacular and our time together is wonderful but my prayer tonight i i, I pray genuinely to be practical open honest with you that as we study this topic tonight that is going to affect what happens after we leave this meeting. It's marvelous to be here. It's a little taste of heaven, as we often say. And it almost sounds moot to say where the rubber meets the road. But we're going to learn tonight that so much of the ministry the Lord has called us to is going to start on Friday. It's going to start when you go back to work. Let's turn our Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I 
For those who were in my uh, workshop earlier today, we were talking a little bit about the importance of reading and reading and rereading in studying the Scripture. And I was initially just going to read a few verses tonight, but I'd like to read the whole of this chapter. It's not that long of a chapter. And it gives us the connection to what I really would like to focus our thinking in tonight as we think, of course, of the Lord Jesus as being preeminent. So let's read from Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life. Please notice, by the way, as we're reading through, the number of references to the Lord Jesus and our existence. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime, when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Whether where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on love or charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God Rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And this is perhaps our key verse in verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it unto, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. I trust the Lord will help us a little bit as we think through parts at least of this passage. As I was thinking a little bit of what I wanted to cover with you tonight, we've been enjoying already so much of this conference and so many aspects of the preeminence of Christ. I wanted to focus tonight our thinking to cause you to wonder, is Christ preeminent in my life? But specifically, is Christ preeminent in my work? 
That is to say, whatever so-called, and we'll put it in quotations for now, secular employment the Lord has given you. Whether you're still in school, whether you're, in, uh, you're self-employed, whether you work for a company or firm, whether you're in so-called the Lord's work full-time, and even if you're retired. You have an objective, a purpose, a job, if you will. And when we think about it, honestly and bluntly, for the majority of us, sometimes too much for me, you spend a lot of time at work, don't you? Hours. The average person works reading in the, in the USA Today on the flight here yesterday uh, that our working hours seem to be going down in the United States. God bless America. But um, the average worker works 39.2 hours a week. Eight hours a day on the whole throughout the weekdays. That's a lot of time. For many of us, that's significantly more than we sleep. And thinking of your life in separate activities, that could well be the a location where you spend the majority or the uh, the one activity that you spend the majority of your time in, more so than any one other place. And yet, we don't genuinely or generally think of Christ being preeminent in my workplace. And that's what I want to think with you tonight. I want to break down a little bit of this myth that on the one hand, you have your secular employment. This is what I do for me. This is what I do to pay the bills. And then over here you have your spiritual employment. This is when I'm exercising my spiritual gifts and working in the assembly and teaching Sunday school or participating in the activities of my local church. And sometimes we naturally make a little bit of a division. This is job time. This is assembly time. This is work time. This is service for the Lord time. I want to suggest to you that that division is a little bit artificial. And perhaps we should merge them together. I'll make comments as we go through to hopefully convince you of my thesis. That is, our text reminded us. And that's why I read the whole of the context. Because the context is Paul writing to to the Colossians here. He's explaining to them that whether they were at home, whether they were in the assembly, whether they were in their place of employment, they serve the Lord Christ. It's marvelous, isn't it? I'm very happy with my boss. (laughs) I trust you are too. We'll come to that a little bit to talk a little bit about what it is to serve the Lord Christ and to have him, if you will, as our boss and not just technically your employer. How marvelous that we have been given this opportunity. And so what I want to share with you tonight is trying to explore the concept and the idea from the scriptures. How is it that the Lord Jesus can be preeminent in my life Not just when I'm sitting at the Lord's Supper, and that's wonderful, or sitting at a gospel meeting, or sitting at the Rise Up meeting, or sharing the gospel with someone as I travel door to door, wherever it is that that the Lord has called you to service. But what about going to work? Driving the nails into the wood as you work, or sitting down at the computer, or working at the firm, or working in the factory, wherever it is that God's placed you. Hopefully I can convince you tonight that that work has a tremendous opportunity for you that you otherwise would not have. That the Lord has placed you in a unique place. That in fact, the work for us isn't just a means to an end. You know, there are times when uh, I've had conversations with individuals, and I remember growing up, 
speaking to a few uh, believers, and the Lord bless them. I'm not trying to, I won't single out anyone. And, and really their sense was, you know, if, if the Lord's not called you to full-time service and you're in secular employment, really your job is just kind of to pay the bills, you know, just to, to the pragmatic, practical, let's get the bills paid so that we can devote all of our attention to the assembly. Now, please don't mistake me tonight. I'm not in any way trying to pull you away from the work that the Lord's called you to do at your assembly. But I want us to understand and appreciate tonight that that secular employment that you have is absolutely a spiritual activity. And the Lord has called you in that place. And we'll see biblical examples of how the Lord called individuals to place them strategically in their so-called secular employment to be a testimony and a truth of God. And you can enjoy your work. You're allowed to enjoy your work, you know. There is joy in that. We'll see in one of our first statements. I believe that the Lord has designed us to work. He's built us that way. So you're allowed to enjoy it and to be passionate about it and to appreciate it and to be, to a certain degree, we'll talk about this, to be successful in it. Of course, there's great challenges and a balance is necessary. But we all know it, don't you? You see the person who sort of struggles in, limber, lumbers their way into work and is so unhappy. Some of these people that some have said are, are weaned on a pickle. You know, they're always sour no matter what. And we pray the Lord doesn't have us like that in the workplace. If that's our approach and attitude to work, it's going to affect our testimony. And it's going to affect the opportunities that we might have to share the Lord with people. Well, how do I want to attack this huge topic tonight? Well, uh, I was trying to think of different ways that we could couch it. And in my typical Joe over-the-top fashion, I want to make 12 statements to you tonight. Now, don't be afraid. We, we will make it to the hymn sing, right? But I want to just share 12 simple statements about your work. You may, may or may not agree with all 12 of them, but I trust that as we go through, there'll be an encouragement to you and be able to allow you to follow our, our pattern of thinking and hopefully draw us closer to the person of the Lord Jesus. And I'll say that before we, we go into these first of the 12 as I commented in our session today, it really all must be about Him. And if we go in with that attitude and that approach, that I want to bring glory to Him. You see that in an individual, don't you? You see it pretty quickly when you spend time with someone. One of the things that I think has forever struck me at the Rise Up conferences in particular and I hope I'm not trying to single out one person too much, but so many of us in this room I know, and I can look out and see many of those faces, have been very deeply impacted by the ministry of David Gooding. And we thank the Lord for him, and we pray for him and his struggles that he has currently with his health. But one of the things that always struck me, when he would step off the podium after a message like this, everyone in the crowd would be literally saying to themselves, what a savior, not what a speaker. Or what a message. And if we do our work appropriately, we're signposts to the person of the Lord Jesus. For as he told us, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto myself. Okay, statement number one. You were designed to work. You were designed to work. The first thing really we read about in the scriptures is God, if you will, working. And he was busy, wasn't he? Dr. Lennox could tell us much more about this and all the marvelous creation that we see around us. That took some time and that took a lot of work. And 
if you look just objectively at the scriptures and step back, look at the number of parables that the Lord Jesus spoke that involved people going to work, being stewards of something or another. We see, of course, that with the work came a balance of rest. We recognize that we can't work 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's just not possible. But we were designed to work. One brother said it to me this way. He said, work is a mercy from God. Imagine how much trouble we'd get into if we didn't have to work. But the Lord has designed us to work. He's given us that opportunity. And herein is the beauty of God. That he's created billions of people on this planet. And every single one of them is unique. And so you've all been gifted in different ways. And so if I look at myself as saying, look, the Lord designed me to work, then I'm meant to work. But my work is going to be different than yours. So let me ask you, how is it that the Lord has equipped you to work? We sometimes focus on this, appropriately so, with young people in particular, when we talk about our spiritual gifts. We see that the Lord gives us at least three or four passages that deal with literally a list and an explanation of multiple spiritual gifts. We believe that every believer, sealed with the Holy Spirit at the time of their salvation, is given at least one spiritual gift and may be given more thereafter. Who am I to stop the hand of God to give and take? Sometimes I wonder if people are given gifts and they squander them and they don't use them and so the Lord takes them away and gives them to someone else. I think that's possible. And we tend to think about it as our spiritual gifts and those are wonderful. We could do a whole conference just on what those spiritual gifts are. But beyond that, what of your stewardship in general? What about those natural abilities and talents that the Lord has given you? Notice how I stated them. These aren't just natural abilities and talents that you have, thank you very much, that I've worked on. All those neurons I've been creating. Yeah, thanks for coming out. If I take an attitude that everything I have comes from Him, then they're going to be used better than if I think they come from me. Because let's remember, they were designed and created by Him. You know, let me put it this way. Be uber blunt, okay? He knows how to use me better than I know how to use me. Do you get that? Think about that. He knows how to use me better than I know how to use me. So are you allowing the Lord to use you? Oh, yes, you might say, well, the Lord has you know, gifted me in this way and I'm involved in this ministry. I'm... God bless you in doing that. But what if your spiritual work similarly? Are you taking those natural talents, abilities that you have, the opportunities that you have, and are you using them? Not for, as we'll see in a moment, self-promotion, just so that I can get this great job and I can do this and I can, I can, I can. No. So that we bring honor and glory to Him. And if I see that all that I have comes from Him, it's going to be a natural outflow for me to return them to Him. To appreciate, even when that paycheck comes in, instead of me saying, you know, I earned it, it's mine, I'm going to do what what I want to do with it, I realize that this is a gift from the Lord. Everything we have comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift. The Lord blesses us 
immensely. We were talking a little bit about this at our dinner table tonight. Again, I'm not trying to be, you know, one of these morbid cancer doctors, but, you know, every day I appreciate the blessings that we have. You know, you tell a a 20-year-old they have leukemia, you don't worry about the scratch in your car anymore. It's amazing how the small, trifling things affect us. The Lord has blessed us so richly. If you have stayed in a hotel room, and this affects just about everybody in the room. I know some of you live nearby and you're commuting, so you can ignore this statement. But if you've stayed in a hotel room in the last six months of your life, you live in the top 1% of the world. We've got it good. The Lord has designed us and given us opportunity to work. Are you using it? Those self-same parables that I was speaking of before, we saw a simple principle, don't we? That the Lord gives, and for some He gives more talents than others. It's not a question of me comparing and saying, oh, look what He's been able to do, and look what she's been able to achieve. That isn't the point. It's what you have been given. That's what you're responsible for. You're not responsible for Joe McHale. God bless you for that. Be thankful you're not responsible for me. But you're responsible for you. And to whom much is given, much is required. It's been one of my life verses. I have been inordinately blessed, and I'm very thankful for wonderful parents who love the Lord. I I owe them an incalculable debt. A wonderful wife and family and job. I'm inordinately grateful to the Lord for it. I feel that I have a responsibility to restore, to return. Similarly, the Lord has gifted and blessed you in a certain way. Are you using it for him? Because the principle we see, as I say from those parables, some are given more, some are given less, but they're expected to use what they have. So often I fear that we have so much potential and it fizzles out because we haven't used it appropriately for the Lord. Well, at this rate, we'll be here till tomorrow. So point number two, you have one priority. And your priority is to serve the Lord Christ. Now, sometimes this might be semantics, and we've discussed this amongst many of us in this room before, the whole issue of priorities and priority. And um, I fall in the camp of thinking just for my own little brain, the way it works, is I try to not think of myself having a list of priorities in life. Because the scripture doesn't really refer to a lot of priorities. It has some priority. It speaks of seeking first the kingdom of God, for example. There are a lot of firsts, but I don't read a lot of seconds in scripture. And so I tend to think of it as saying, well, you know, my priority in life is to serve the Lord Christ, is the Lord Jesus. And if my focus is on him, then all of these other things will fall into their natural place. And if I'm in touch with him, then he'll give me that indication on that particular day where the focus should be. Because the challenge is when you say to people, okay, get out a pen and write out your list of priorities. Inevitably, God is number one. And then there's this great dilemma. What comes to? Is it the assembly or is it the home? And sometimes people say, well, or is it my work? So you've got these three that are vying for spot number two. Now let me suggest to you, you don't have to make some concrete list. That if the Lord Jesus is your priority and your focus is on him, then you have a relationship with him, you have a communication with him that he can explain to you in any given day what the focus should be at that particular time. And on a certain day, the family is going to trump the other two. 
Another day the assembly is going to trump the other two. And another day the, 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 the secular work that you have is going to trump the other two. It doesn't mean that every single time there's a conflict that the assembly wins or the family wins or work wins. But that you're in constant communication with the Lord. And he's giving you insight as to which, on that given day, the Lord is calling you to do. And let me suggest that on some days that secular employment will be your responsibility. It's part of what Lord's called you to do. And we all have unique roles, and, and I don't think my role is any more unique than others. But I can't just say to my patients, you know what? Um, Sundays, you can't get sick. Now, trust me, I try to protect my Sundays as best I can. Thankfully, I have a number of Jewish colleagues. It works out well. I take their Saturday. They take my Sunday. It's, it's when I used to be uh, working at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. It was a little bit easier. But um, uh, I do as much as, as I possibly can protect those times. But there are going to be times I know when I'm going to have to get up in the middle of the night and go see a patient or I'm going to have to miss a meeting or miss a time, miss a, uh, an opportunity to be with the Lord's people for the sake of my work. Now, if I tried to put myself in a situation where that's all I ever did and I never fellowship with the Lord's people, I think the, I think the Lord wouldn't want me to do that. And I think I'd be in error by doing that. But your work, your individual work is a calling from God and you adhere to your one priority to see that what it is the Lord has called me to do is going to be fulfilled as I place him on the throne of my life. And, you know, I'm interested, by the way, in the scripture, of the number of people who are doing so-called mundane day-to-day activity that the Lord used for tremendous spiritual purposes. You tend to think, oh, if the Lord's going to do a great work, then he's going to call you out of secular employment, and he's going to call you into the Lord's work full-time and send you over to Africa. That's marvelous. We have missionaries here who have been to Africa. The Lord bless you for doing that. But that's not the general template, is it? More often than not, you're serving the Lord by being a homemaker, by being that uh, worker at the factory, by, by being that uh, working in the office, sitting behind the computer, designing websites with Jesse Gentile. Well, what is it? Whatever it is that the Lord has called you to do. So we see those examples in scriptures. I think they're marvelous examples. I think even of, of David, what a great example. That he took the very tool that he was used to using to protect the sheep. I mean, his, his brothers made fun of it. Yeah. Like, you got a great job there, David, taking care of the sheep. <clears throat> Like, you're the bottom of the totem pole. It's a good thing he was good at taking care of those sheep. The Lord was going to give him a few million later, right? And that very sling that he would use to protect the sheep from whatever animals or prey would come against them, he used that to take down the giant. Remember when he said to Saul, I'm sorry, I can't wear this equipment. Not because it didn't fit him. I mean, honestly, Saul might not have been the fastest bunny in the forest, but he would have at least given him armor that fit him. That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) Maybe I'll just tell you when it's a joke, and then you'll know when, like, insert applause here. Anyway, um, so Saul may not have fully grasped spiritual things, but he wouldn't have given David things that didn't fit him. David's argument against him is, look, he didn't say, these don't fit me, Saul, because you're so big-headed, I can't fit into your clothes. He said, no, I've not proved them. I've not tested them. They're not part of my regular activity. They're not part of what I do on a day-to-day basis. I can't just jump into this different role. And he did with a little sling, 
what all the soldiers in the army couldn't do with a big sword. Pretty impressive, isn't it? And women, don't be left out either. Can't help but talk to one of my favorite old character personalities, female. Her and her, as I like to say, her pointed message. Um, you know the story of jail, don't you? Yeah, don't mess with jail. Um, what did she do? Well, we have young minds here and young people here. Be careful. But, you know, she tent-pegged her way to success. Right? But what did she use? She used a tent peg. Seriously? Are you kidding me? No, she did. She used a simple hammer and a tent peg. Now, as I understand, in those days, that was part of the responsibility, usually of the woman, to put up and take down the tent. That was part of her homemaking activity. She didn't go run off and try and get her husband's sword or spear. That might have been a bit of a disaster. She said, look, I'll just take what I've got. And this is what I do every day. This is the mundane activity of life. Cooking, cleaning, fixing, working in the office. I'm going to take that and apply it to the glory of God. And Jael did what no soldier in the army could do. So I've just given you two examples. The scripture is filled with them. Don't underestimate the value of the work that God has called you to do. I'll always interrupt someone when I ask them what they do and they say, oh, I'm just a... No. You're not just a secretary or just a homemaker. No. God bless you in the work that the Lord has given you to do. I believe that with all of my heart. One priority. Statement number three. You are a witness. Notice how I said it, because the scripture claims it that way in Acts 1.8. Ye shall be my witnesses. It doesn't say you're going to go witnessing. Right? A witness is someone you are. That is to say, 24-7, you are a witness for the Lord Jesus. So whether you are witnessing, uh, you are a witness on the street corner, whether you're a witness in your workplace, or whether you're a witness sitting in your pew, you are a witness 24-7. When we used to live in Canada for a long time, most of my life, in fact, I lived in Ottawa, which is the nation's capital, as most of you would know. And we had the privilege, my high school was very close to where many of the embassies were. I had the privilege of having a lot of friends of mine that were ambassadors' kids or worked in the embassies. And it was a fascinating little community, disturbing at times, but a fascinating little community of individuals. And one of the things that really struck me is these people had to explain to us, listen, they were ambassadors all the time, not just at the ambassadorial functions. Everywhere that ambassador and his family went... They represented the country from which they came. What a beautiful example. And scripture tells us that we're ambassadors for Christ. So I like to say witnessing is something you, you are. It's not something you do. And the Lord has called you to be a witness. And it's marvelous the opportunity that you will have if you simply think of them. The Lord is going to place you in, in situations and give you opportunities that otherwise you would never have had. I was thinking of brother and chatting with her brother John Lennox earlier. You know, one of the really world's foremost atheists right now who does a great deal of writing, a great deal of work, happens to live in my city, in Phoenix. Some of you may know of him, Paul Davies. Very fascinating individual. 
And it just happened to be that the National Institute of Health through the National Cancer Institute had put out this request for a proposal where they wanted to combine physicists and cancer researchers together and explore cancer research in a different way. And to quickly tell you, my, my work is, is divided up. I literally spend a third of my time with patients, a third of my time doing research, and a third of my time doing education. It's, for me, a perfect job. I'm very thankful for it. And so it was felt that because Arizona State University has a large physics and very strong physics department, one of the strongest in the country, and we at Mayo Clinic have a, have a reasonably strong cancer research program, they said, well, let's pair the two of these up together and see what they can do. And who gets paired up but Joe McHale and Paul Davies? <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. And... Um, <laughs> So I go meet him in his office, and I sit there, and sure enough, I'm sitting in his office, and what does he have up on his wall but a symbol of a fish with little legs on it, you know, the Darwinian approach. thought to myself, well, that's disturbing, but um, to be expected. Well, a few weeks later, he says, well, you know, Joe, I actually happen to be down near at Mayo. Maybe we can meet in your office this time. I'm like, come on down. <laughs> comes into my car or comes, comes uh, through the parking lot as I'm walking him through and sees my car with the little fish symbol on it. And comes into my office. I think I'm not boasting about what's at my office. You know, a few Bible verses, the name of the Lord Jesus. I tell you, his face. I, I thought he was seeing a ghost. <laughs> you know, I pray for him regularly because I'm not underestimating what God can do. But we've been given, I believe the Lord has placed me as an opportunity to be a witness to this man and demonstrate to him. And I've gotten to know his wife and they've gotten to know our family. There's an opportunity there that otherwise I would not have had. I'm just giving you one little simple example from my life. But you're a witness 24-7. You have an opportunity And don't be ashamed of the calling that you have. All right, we need to speed up the tape. Number four, you are a target at work. Number four, you are a target at work. You know, the world right now, perhaps more than any other time, is kind of sickened with Christianity. I'll be blunt. Right? They're sick of of the hypocrisy that they've seen. They're tired of the fact that it doesn't match their political correctness. The world generally feels that the world is kind of, you know, we've evolved beyond that the stigma of the approach that Christianity has taken. Well, that's going to carry you at work. But you know, that's your opportunity to turn the table, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, it's not what the philosophy, uh, the philosophers think. It's not what the press says. It's what that person sees in you, sitting next to you in your cubicle, every single day of the week. And although we're a target... Although Satan would love to sift us as as wheat, we want to reverse that opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. And the Lord may bless you in your work, in your ministry, in the assembly, in your community, but beware. Satan knows that, and he'll come after you at work. And he'll try to find a way to get at you when you're at work. And it can happen. And we need to be aware of that, that this is a battleground. I mean, we are trying to infiltrate the enemy territory, aren't we? 
And it shouldn't be a surprise. And we think so often that we're on the, the battlefront when we have a gospel series. And that's wonderful. We are on the battlefront on the gospel series. But you're on a battlefield every single day that you go to work. And if you view it that way and you see it that way, you'll see the enemy coming. And you'll be ready for their attack. Number five, you will have tough choices. If you want to nap for the rest of the session and, or have been napping for most of this session, wake up for this one, would you? I would say this is one of the key pieces to understanding how I think the Lord wants us to have him preeminent in our workplaces. The Lord is going to call us to make some very tough choices. You know, the workplace is a challenging place. And there are times when you have to so-called toe the party line and follow what the company tells you to do and do what the work uh, demands us to do. But what I pray for more than anything else is that the Lord would give me the discernment to know when to say yes and when to say no. Let me give you two examples from Scripture that help us. Positive example, and I plan to explore this with the young people a little bit more tomorrow in our, in our um, workshop. The positive example is Daniel. What a fantastic example of someone who was willing to work for, let's face it, not the greatest boss in the world. Like, you think your boss is tough? Yeah, try Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, thanks for coming out, right? Okay. And he was willing to serve in that administration. In fact, we find that Daniel was very successful and he worked in several administrations. He was willing to go to that pagan university Sometimes Joe can say he must have had a, a big sweatshirt, you know, with a hoodie that had B-U, you know, Babylon U, right? Okay, tough crowd tonight, seriously. <laughs> Is this thing on? Are we? Um, so there he was at Babylon U, learning some, I'm sure, ridiculous science that they were teaching. But he was willing to tell the party line, but there was an exception when they had to eat the meat that had previously been offered to idols, he drew the line. He said, you know what? I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do that, but I am not eating that meat. And I don't know what it is in your workplace, but what is it that you can say yes and yes and yes to and the one thing or the multiple things that you have to say no to? Only the Lord can instruct you as to what that is. I tell you, in our workplaces today, honesty goes a long way. The standards dropping around us, just doing your job honestly often will land you in positive light. But by contrast, the church at Thyatira was criticized for the principles of Jezebel. Thyatira was known for many, known for many of its trade guilds. That is to say, that different uh, working uh, groups would have this, uh, I guess it was an ancient form of union, if you will, or a guild, a professional association or professional group that engaged in a lot more than just facilitating their work. But each of them, for example, would have their own pet god. And they would offer things to, to that god or to that idol right in the context of work. And the church was warned about their engagement in those kinds of activities. And I think that principle is the same as today. That yes, I work for Mayo Clinic and I'm happy to do what Mayo tells me to do 95% of the time. But there are times when I'm going to say I'm not willing to do that. Because I serve the Lord Christ. 
And God help you to learn what are those things that you have to refrain from. And what things you can engage in. Only you can know in your own heart and your own life. The business practices, you know, sometimes we hear, well, you know, that's, that's kind of just the way it's done. I mean, technically, it's bending the rules a little bit tax-wise. But, you know, it's what everybody does. That's not acceptable. The Lord told us. We read it here in Colossians, didn't we? As servants were to obey. But we're to adhere. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and unto, unto God what is God. We have responsibility. And the Lord help us to carry it through a proper, properly. So you will have tough choices. Number six, you have one boss. We've kind of talked about this already. But how marvelous to know that genuinely the chief of my department is the Lord Jesus. And I don't say that facetiously. I say that honestly. The scripture says that as we read it together. That's why I think these verses are so beautiful. It says, not with eye service as man pleasers. He says, but you're serving Christ the Lord. You do it as unto the Lord heartily. And there might be subtle differences, but they're differences nonetheless. If you get into the frame of mind as you walk to work in the morning or drive to work, however as you get to work, and you say, I am going to please the Lord today, not just trying to please my human boss. Now, sometimes that might be the same thing. But sometimes it might not be. And the Lord help us to have that attitude, that approach. I am serving the Lord Jesus. What a great boss to have. Let's just look back. The last couple of weeks of your life. Many of you might have been off this last week because of Christmas and so on. But just go back to the last couple of weeks of work and think to yourself. The different projects you've been involved with or the work you're doing. I don't know what kind of work you have. But just think about your work in the last couple of weeks. Would you say that it would have pleased the Lord? What could you have done differently to please the Lord? These are practical. Listen, I'm not telling you anything earth-shattering tonight. We're keeping it Joe simple, right? Another joke that bombed. All right, it's okay. I'm trying. These are things that we just face every single day. The Lord help us to see. And sometimes you might get frustrated at work and you might think, oh, my boss doesn't know this. He doesn't know that. He doesn't see what I'm doing. She doesn't understand. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. We serve the Lord Christ. You have one boss. Number seven, you may be promoted or demoted. And don't always think that's a bad thing or a good thing. Talk about the promotion for a moment. Look, having success at work, Lord bless you, it's great. You might be able to build credibility that will give you a testimony to others. You might have opportunity to do things. I know in my own life, at times things have gone well and it's given me greater opportunity to teach more medical students or more residents or have a greater influence in different people's lives. And I trust that we do it to the greater glory of God. And there's good parts to being promoted. There are also bad parts of being promoted, aren't there? generally means they get more of you. With more privilege comes more responsibility. And sometimes it can color our view of what real success is. All of a sudden we start thinking, well, really, the objective here is I've got I've to get to the top of the ladder. I don't know what it's called in your field. In our, in our field we call it uh, 
have you thought about your career development? No. A.K.A., when are you trying to take over the world? Like, it's ridiculous. And yes, there is a natural progression of life as you work and you're given more responsibility, and that's understandable. But what is it that you're trying to be promoted to? For what purpose? Just to make more money? To have more prestige? To have more power? To take you away from your family more? To take you away from the assembly more? That's inevitably what will happen. If we don't see it as coming from the Lord. By contrast, maybe the Lord really wants you to be promoted. I'm, I'm going to mention his name because we all know him so well. Brother Lennox, who's with us here this week. And the Lord bless him. I mean, for those of you who understand academic circles. I mean, it ain't easy to become a professor at Oxford. The Lord has blessed him immensely. He has circles that none of us in this room can ever get into. Because how the Lord has blessed him and promoted him over the years. But by contrast, the Lord may choose to demote you. Many of us know individuals who have even purposely taken a demotion and given up the perks and given up some of the higher end things that come with being way up on the ladder because they want to devote more time to their family or more time to the assembly. See how it's different for everyone. That's why I want you to look into your own heart and wonder, where is it that the Lord is taking me? I may be promoted. I may be demoted. Number eight, you must be prepared for work. Now, that's not anything really stunning, is it? I mean, we all have employment. We've all got to be ready. I mean, I'm not going to walk into one of my patients' room and say, yeah, I hear you've got a blood disorder. I guess I should learn what that is. You know, not cool. Right? So, so from a professional standpoint, I'm employed, and so I have to be prepared. My patients expect a great deal from me. Well, your boss expects a great deal from you. Are you prepared for your work? And I don't just mean that you've read your textbook. Is your heart prepared for the battlefield? I said this in my workshop today. I'll say it again to everybody. If you're not, Spending time every day alone with the Lord Jesus. You're either backsliding now or you will very soon. It's that simple. I mean, tell the body not to eat after a few days, you're in trouble. How do we expect ourselves to spiritually exist if we're not spending time alone with the Lord? Are you prepared to explain the hope that is within you? When one of your colleagues asks you that question, I'm not saying that we go out and become uh, 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 so vocal that we're to the point of being abusive. You know, people often talk about lifestyle evangelism. And look, I totally get it. You know, I, we've had privilege and opportunity to be in situations where, where someone will come up to you and say, look, there's got to be something different about you. I, I'm amazed at how you don't do this, you don't do this. And, and, and again, not by any means praise of myself. I had a nurse come and speak to, us the other, speak to, to me the other day who said, why is it that you just don't get angry like all the other doctors? Well, maybe because I'm not smart enough to get angry. Um, but it's just a very quick opportunity to say, I don't think the Lord would want me to get upset about something like that. Small things. Yes, the lifestyle evangelism, I get it, but it only takes us to a point. Are you ready to defend your faith? Can you genuinely, in encapsulated form, share the gospel with somebody? I'm being very simple and practical here. 
But so often we get into these long-winded discussions and we're, we're back in the Garden of Eden and then we're in the ark and then we've made it up to the top of Mount Carmel and people are confused. It's great to have all the background, but can you, in a nutshell, share with people what makes you unique? Share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's being prepared to go to work. Furthermore, if I can take this to a deeper level, uh, thought number nine or point number nine is you have a unique mission field, a mission field that no one else has. Now, it's one thing to be prepared for work. And by the way, just as a side note, if we took the energy that we had and that we employ in our secular employment and took it to our study of the scriptures, what a difference it would be. Again, I'm kind of giving another commercial for my workshop, but um, which happens to be tomorrow at uh, 2 p.m. in the Tuscany room. Um, you know, why is it that we can spend hours and hours in st- studying for this exam and this test and this quiz and go to college and so on, and yet you ask people to study the scriptures, and after five or six minutes, they're just not willing to carry on? Lord, help us to reverse that. But it's more than just being prepared, as I say. It's recognizing that you have a unique mission field, that you have the opportunity to reach people that no one else does. You can have the greatest big campaign gospel effort, Billy Graham crusade. God bless all of those activities. But if you really want to infiltrate the world with the gospel, you send all these Christians to work. That's where you're going to find people. And you're part of that. So tell me a little bit more about your mission field. Or think a bit about it. Do you see it that way, number one? And how's the work going? You know, we hear about these missionaries. Sometimes they prepare for months and years before they go to a different land and learn a different language or learn the culture of the people. Well, how about your colleagues at work? Have you taken an interest in them? Let me give you a couple of very basic, simple suggestions. Number one, learn about them. Just find out who they are. Isn't it amazing you can sit next to someone in a cubicle for three years and really know nothing about them? I mean, how much more help do you need? Number two, pray for them. One of the the greatest blessings came in my life when I was in medical school. And there was one other believer in my class. And we resolved to pray for everyone in our medical school class. And we made a list and we put it on the calendar so that every day of every calendar year, someone in our medical school class was prayed for. Now, we didn't see fruit from that right away. So I don't know what came of it. In the, it didn't see much happen in the short term. But I'm expecting one of these days one of my classmates to call me and say they've come to know the Lord. I'm waiting for it. I think it's going to happen. So do you do that? Do you have a list of your colleagues at work and and just write their names down and pray for them? You ought to do that. Learn about them. Pray for them. Number three, if you can, feed them. Like everybody loves food. Are you kidding me? Come on. Take an opportunity to sit with them and talk to them when you have the opportunity in the right context, in the right place, to just sit down and talk to them over a meal. 
It's amazing how much more people are willing to open up when you're actually breaking bread with them and eating food with them. If you have homes and families, invite them over for dinner. Demonstrate to them that you're genuinely interested in them. And, and learn, when I say learn about them, don't just learn what their names are and the names of their pets. You know, understand a little bit more deeply. They have a great interest in a certain activity or certain thing. Get involved if you can. Someone's really interested in some kind of sport or some kind of hobby or activity, find out about it. Demonstrate to them that you're genuine because you have an opportunity to do something that a preacher behind a pulpit is never going to be able to have, which is credibility over time. That you're not just a flash in the pan interested in them. You know, the human body, the human mind is particularly skeptical when someone tries to show us compassion. I had the privilege of of being involved in running a homeless clinic for a number of years. And the greatest thing we ever did is before we even tried to open the clinic, we would go down once a week and just sit with the gentleman there at the men's soup kitchen and eat food with them. Because they had so many people that would come and say, oh, we want to do our community service, and we're going to come here and pour the soup into your bowl and hand it to you. And they would come for a day or a week or even a few weeks and then leave. But when we showed we were there and we were there for good, all of a sudden the doors started to break down. And they started to open up to us and trust us from a medical standpoint. And oh yes, I had the privilege of even leading people to the Lord on the street because of it. You have that opportunity over time. On the subject of time, we're running out of time. but um, So we'll need to, to speed up the tape a little bit here. But you know, the Lord Jesus was the greatest example of this, was he not to us? I just love to read the interactions of the Lord Jesus. And I'm motivated now to read Rex's book about when he went to touch people. The the interactions that the Lord Jesus had with people one-on-one. Even coming to meet that woman at the well. And the nature and the depth of that conversation. And the genuine interest she had in that individual. You have that kind of opportunity at work. And expect big things, would you, please? So often we think, oh, well, you know, I'll say my piece and I'll hand them a gospel tract and go back to my desk. We need to start believing that the Lord wants to save people. Am I right or am I right? The Lord wants to save people. Maybe you can think of even someone right now that you know at work. Maybe you can focus your efforts even on that one individual. And don't don't be surprised if the Lord brings them to salvation even in the next year. Okay, time is nearly gone, so we have just a few, a few more to mention here. Number 10, number 9 was you have a unique mission field that no one else has. Number 10, your time is valuable. Well, you might think, oh, I've got all this time at work. I've got to punch in the clock and punch out the clock eight hours a day. Scripture tells us redeeming the time for the days are evil. Redeemed literally to purchase, to buy up. It's so costly. It's so valuable. Careful when you use expressions like, oh, just waste some time or kill time. That hurts me even to say it. Time runs quickly from us. There's no guarantee of how long you have at that job or that other person's going to be there. And it's so easy for us sometimes, particularly at work, to get caught up with the things 
that need to get done, but they're not most important. I think one of the, the most bu- brilliant little papers I've ever written is probably about 25 years ago was written. I think it uh, went through one of the Christian uh, uh, press organizations. It was called The Tyranny of the Urgent. I don't know if any of you have ever read that. I actually speak to my medical students and, and medical residents about that in a uh, careful manner. And the, the thesis of this little paper was to say, look, you and I can get so caught up in the urgent, we forget what's important. And there's a difference. I mean, and I'm 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 a list guy. I, you know, I have a I get them uh, go get up early in the morning. Uh, I'm one of these crazy marathon runners, so I like to get up early in the morning and go for a run. I have my ritual. I spend time with the Lord. I go to work. I sit down in the in the corner of my my desk, have a paper, and I write down all the things I want to achieve that day. It feels so good when you get to cross them out, you know. And um, I have a section of the pad where I write urgent and important to remind myself. That yes, you know, getting that paper back in time, or 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 finishing this that this uh, part of my of my work, now that's urgent. That that really needs to get done. But talking to Reuben next door about his sick mother, that's important. And don't lose the important in the midst of the urgent, because time is short. Number eleven. Your reward is heavenly. Oh, yes, you work hard, you'll get paid for it. The preacher is worthy of his hire. Someone should be recompensed appropriately when they work, be it so-called spiritual or secular activity. And, and by the way, you know, a lot of times uh, preachers, we're kind of careful. We don't like to talk about money. Let me talk about money. Because I'm not here to take anybody's money tonight. We ought to be generous people. We ought to be very generous people. And come to appreciate what you have. If you see it, as I said from the start, if you see it as coming from the Lord, it's a lot easier to return it to the Lord than to think of it as my hard-earned money. Yes, you've earned it. The Lord appreciates that. If if it were not in some capacity mine, it wouldn't be a gift to give it away. Yes, it is mine. I have worked hard for it. But we've been given so much. And the Lord help us to be generous with our money, with our time, frankly, and with ourselves. That's what... We want more than anything else. One of the most striking passages in the Word of God to me is when the Apostle Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I spend and be spent for you. Familiar with that verse? It's a beautiful verse. When he says, Most gladly will I spend, that word is only used two other times in the Scriptures. Number one, for the prodigal who spent all that he had. So you get, the, you get the sense of how much he's spending. And number two, uh, you know, we as hematologists always like the story because it's the story of the woman uh, with the so-called issue of blood, right? So she had a clotting disorder, as we say in hematology, and, and she spent all of her money on hematologists, which I'm a little bit embarrassed about. But, and, and, the doctors, <laughs> and, and the doctors couldn't help her. So she went to touch the hem of the garment of the Lord Jesus. When Paul says... I want to spend for you. He's not saying, you know, I'll reach down in my pocket. I've got an extra buck or two here, and I'll just give you a little bit. The widow's mite was so valuable, not because that mite was more valuable than any other mite. It's because there's nothing left in her pocket. But the second half of that verse, he says, most gladly will I spend and be spent for you. That phrase is not repeated ever in the Scripture. 
And it literally means to spend oneself entirely. That's what the Apostle Paul was like. Of course, he points us to the one who that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. Oh, the Lord help us to realize that yes, what we have is valuable, but we spend it for him. Our reward will ultimately be heavenly. Why? Not because you've amassed a big bank account or lots of RRSPs or whatever your long-term savings are but because you come before the one who says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Finally, point number 12. We've said that your reward is heavenly, but number 12, you have a long-term contract. You might think, well, my work might change next week. I might get fired, sure. But from the boss of bosses, from the Lord Jesus, your contract is eternal. Let me suggest to you that the work you're doing right now is just a training ground for one day reigning with the Lord Jesus. And we will have a work that this world will never fully know and appreciate because we serve the Lord Christ. Of course, we have the greatest example, don't we? In conclusion, the Lord Jesus is the one who could say, I have finished the work that thou hast given me to do. He didn't start something and not finish it. So when you go back to your workplaces this week or next week, whenever it is that you return to work, I hope some of these pointers, some of these ideas will give you some encouragement to bless your heart, to have you realize that you've got a work of God in front of you, that as you serve the Lord Christ, He indeed is your boss, that you have a mission field that no one else has. And I hope to hear from you to tell me and share with me the kind of ministry that the Lord's given you and how he's blessed you because of it. I apologize for taking so long. Let's close in prayer. Father, we're so thankful to be here tonight. It really is such an honor and privilege to gather with the Lord's people in this way. We're thankful most of all tonight for the Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, that he would genuinely be preeminent, not just in our activities in the assembly or in our our minds and hearts when we gather with the Lord's people. But even as we go to work day to day, Lord, may he be on the forefront of our minds. What a grace and a mercy that we have, even to be able to do the tasks we've been given. Lord, help us to see that everything we have comes from him. Father, we just pray that tonight these things would not just be some kind of theory in our minds, but that they would be genuine in our hearts. Bless us, Father. Uh, Cause us to enjoy our evening together in the fellowship and the singing around the piano. Father, we look forward to it so much. Encourage us and bless us, we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Thank you.